It's good to see everybody uh, here today and uh, pleased to see you this Christmas season. And I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke 2 and your copy of the scripture. Luke 2, of course, is the traditional Christmas story. It's like we, uh, we can't dare have Christmas without at least reading Luke chapter 2. When you think of the Christmas story, this is generally the chapter in the Bible that people have in mind. And I want to talk to you this morning on the subject matter, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, please. We're going to pick up reading in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Emmanuel, God with us. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, uh, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered. At what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Father, we know that as we read this story, we marvel at the way that you did things. Not as man would do things. And it reminds us of Isaiah 55 where you say your ways are not our ways. And your thoughts are not our thoughts. 
Your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And God, we thank you for that because our ways and our thoughts always come up short, but your ways and your thoughts are perfect. Lord, we thank you for this news, this good news of a Savior born to us. Not simply to the shepherds of this day and time, but a Savior to all of us even today. Lord, we're gathered here to worship Him and to give you gratitude for saving us. For doing what we could never do for ourselves, that we might have eternal life. And again, Lord, I pray that if any are missing that, that you might use this message to draw them to Jesus. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. I wonder if you ever go into Cracker Barrel and out in the gift shop at Cracker Barrel, there'll be the book stands, and on the book stand, there'll be these little paperback books about what happened in such and such year. You know what I'm talking about? And you've probably picked up one of those books about what happened in whatever year that you were born. And you look through some of the events of that year. I look back this week at some of the events that happened the year that I was born. 1963. Of course it was in 1963 that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Martin Luther King delivered his famous speech, I Have a Dream. Studebaker quit making their automobile. The Beatles put out their hit song, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Alcatraz prison officially shut down. The average new house cost $12,600. And $50. And zip codes were instituted for the first time across the U.S. Imagine that. Would somebody run up here and please give me a dose of Geritol tonic? (laughs) Think with me for a moment about another year, the year 1809. The international scene was tumultuous. Napoleon was sweeping across Europe and going through Austria at the time and blood was flowing freely. It looked as though he might conquer the world. He might be the only one since Alexander the Great that had conquered the entire world. At that time, no one had their attention on babies being born. But there were some very significant births. For example, William Gladstone was born that year. He was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. That same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife. 
the child would one day greatly affect the literary world. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Not far away, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, although tragic, life. It was also in 1809 that a physician named Charles Darwin, or rather a physician named by the last name of Darwin and his wife gave birth to a little boy by the name of Charles. Again that same year in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, there was a baby born by the name of Abraham Lincoln. Now, folks, if there had been news abroad at the time, I'm certain the words that would have been heard would have been these. That the destiny of the world is being shaped on an Austrian battlefield today. But in reality, history was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America. That reminds me of the events recorded here in Luke chapter 2. For the world, the big news would have been the decree that a census had been ordered for the purposes of taxation. And so everybody was busy traveling and they were going to register in the towns to which they belonged. But while the world was focused upon that, there was a more significant event taking place. Out of sight and out of mind, we might say. It's the events recorded here in Luke chapter 2. You see, God was at work in the grandest of ways. And man didn't even know it. Isn't that amazing? This is known, as I mentioned, as the traditional Christmas story. It's a common, well-known story. Maybe the best known the world over. What we see is that the announcement received by the shepherds was an announcement that would forever change the world. It's a message of joy to the world because the Lord has come. God, who is transcendent, has become imminent. God with us. Folks, it's staggering to think about what's taking place here. God is coming into humanity. I want you to remember Isaiah 7.14 that says, Behold, the virgin will be with child, and you are to call him Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. Jesus is fully God, but in the incarnation, he's also becoming fully man. He's existed eternally with the Father. There's never been a time that he did not exist. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's never been a time that Jesus did not exist. This means that Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus. Bethlehem was only the beginning of the humanity of Jesus. What an, ama- what an amazing event we witness here. 
I hope you'll take some notes and write down, first of all, the careful precision of God in the birth of His Son. The careful precision of God in the birth of His Son. The Bible is very specific that history is certainly not an accident. God is providential. Now, folks, it may be at this point that the worldview that we see in secular society and the worldview that Christians ought to have could not be more different than this. You see, to the secularist, everything that happens is just this random series of events taking place within the scope of evolution playing out. We certainly don't believe that. The Bible tells us about the hand of a providential God at work. A God who is sovereign over all of the details of history and over all of the details of your life. In fact, history is His story. He's the one writing this history book. God's in charge. And nowhere do we see the providential hand of God at work any more than in the birth narratives here. God is in control of all of these arrangements being made. It ought to remind us of Paul's words in Galatians 4.4 where he writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons think of that phrase the fullness of time and as you think of that phrase in Galatians uh, Galatians chapter 4 the fullness of time kind of put that on top of Luke chapter 2 because that's what we see taking place God is arranging all of this it's not an accident It was a difficult trek of over 80 miles that Joseph and Mary made. And they traveled this 80 miles walking and riding a donkey. And all of this while Mary was nine months pregnant and about to deliver. Ladies, think of that. In verse 2, Luke is careful to set the historical context for us. He says this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now this is not an easy matter to settle historically. But some evidence suggests that Quirinius was governor of Syria on two different occasions. The first occasion was from 6 B.C. until 4 B.C. And then the second occasion was from 6 A.D to 9 A.D. And so that means that the birth of the Lord Jesus was not earlier than 6 B.C. and not later than 4 B.C. Luke is careful to ensure that the readers comprehend that the birth of Jesus Christ is firmly rooted in human history. Folks, this is not a fairy tale. 
You know, when we tell fairy tales, how do they begin? Once upon a time or in a land far, far away. And then the story goes on to tell some work of fiction. But this is not fiction. This is real. This is history. And so what's Luke doing? Luke is including some historical markers so that everybody reading his account would be able to tie it to a very specific moment in history. You remember what Luke said back in chapter 1? He's writing to an official by the name of Theophilus. And he tells Theophilus that many have set forth to write accounts about the life and, and, and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so he says, I, I thought it necessary that I would do the same. And I have carefully researched everything out so that you might be certain of these events. Luke wants Theophilus to know. And the Holy Spirit wants you and me to know. This is history. Now can you imagine the anxiety that Mary and Joseph must have felt? They had no choice but to go and register. After all, Caesar Augustus himself has decreed it. He's the man in charge, right? That's what everybody would have thought. He's the guy in charge. He's the one dictating all of this. All of these issues are in his hand, in his control. But not at all. That's not the case. It may appear to the average person looking at this that Caesar Augustus is directing all the events here, but a greater ruler is, in fact, the one who is the ruler of the universe. God is directing this scene and he's working through this decree. This massive census was simply God's way of getting Mary in the right place at the right time for Jesus to be born. God is fulfilling his word here. You see folks, the scripture had prophesied 700 years earlier that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You see, this is a very specific prophecy because there were two Bethlehems in Israel. There was a Bethlehem up north, 10 kilometers away from Nazareth. And then there was this Bethlehem down in Judea. And so eight centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ, God said it would be Bethlehem Ephratah, the southern Bethlehem down near Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing, folks? I mean, that's how specific God is. Think of that. 700 years, over 700 years before this takes place. God is even telling which Bethlehem in the land that the Savior will be born in. 
It's amazing when you think about it. Bethlehem means the house of bread. That's literally what it means. And so the one who is the bread of life is to be born in a city which was named the house of bread. God waited through history until this precise moment. Again, what the Apostle Paul refers to as the fullness of time. Now, why was it the fullness of time? Well, Caesar Augustus was the greatest of all of the Caesars and he had greatly expanded the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, because they were, they were the world power at the time and they were so strong that there was a peace through strength. It was called the Pax Romana, a Roman peace. And he had dictated the building of roads all over the Roman Empire. And so never before was the world connected the way it was under Caesar Augustus. Not only this extensive road system, but they even had a postal system. Now why is all that significant? That's significant because the most significant birth of all, the birth of the Lord Jesus, when it happened, God wanted to make sure it didn't remain a secret. The good news, the gospel, was to go to all the world. And so Jesus was born at a time, the first time in history perhaps, that this message was able to go out over all the world at that time. Again, the the providential hand of God in all of this is simply amazing. Folks, can I take a moment to remind you of David's words in Psalm 139? David talks about God's watch care over his life. And David goes so far as to say that all of his days were numbered before he lived even one of them. Aside from the miracle of the incarnation of Jesus this Christmas, you and I can rest assured that God is in charge and He's in charge of your life too. This past Wednesday night, we finished our journey through the book of Genesis. And of course, you close out the book of Genesis, the last 13 chapters, I believe it is, talking about Joseph. It's the biggest single narrative in the book of Genesis. And and when you talk about Joseph, you know, we've talked about how he was in prison as a young man for something he was not guilty of. And I'm sure he must have thought he was abandoned. But God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. He finally got out of prison, became the prime minister of Egypt. And he said to his brothers at the end of the book, when after their father died and his brothers were scared to death that Joseph is now going to take vengeance on them. He says, listen, what you meant for evil in my life, God meant for good, for the salvation of many people. He said, brothers, don't worry. 
You don't need to fear me. I'm going to look after you and provide for you. And you think about what God did through Joseph. Because go back even further in the book of Genesis. How God had told Abraham. How Abraham's descendants would be down in Egypt for more than 400 years. And they would become slaves there. So how in the world did God get Jacob's descendants from where they were in Canaan down to Egypt? How did that take place? Well, the storyline of Joseph explains how God did it through this worldwide famine. Folks, do you see how, how amazing God is? And, you know, you and I are just looking at human events and we're thinking, okay, this world leader is doing that, this country's doing that, this person's doing that, this is happening, this is being developed. And, and we just look at it, you know, with, with short-sighted vision. But behind it all, the Bible assures us God is working. And God's working in your life too. Your life's not an accident. God's got a purpose in your life. Let's not lose sight of the providential hand of God this Christmas season. In this providential working of God, I want you to understand the contrast being set up here between God on the one hand and Caesar Augustus on the other. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar and he was the first Caesar to be called Augustus which means holy or revered. It was a title reserved for gods. In fact, about the same time that Luke was writing these words, some of the Greek cities in Asia Minor adopted Caesar's birthday, September 23rd, as the first day of the new year, and they praised him as being Savior. One inscription even called Caesar Augustus Savior of the world. They wanted to try to turn a Roman emperor into a god. And so here was this Augustus making his political decree, acting like he was a god while all the time he's just a pawn in the hands of the one who is the true god. And the irony of it all, here's a man, a king, trying to become like a god. And here is the true god who is clothing himself in flesh to become a man. The contrast being shown here could not be any more profound. Well, Joseph and Mary finally arrive in Bethlehem and every motel and hotel in the place had a no vacancy sign out front. Actually, Bethlehem being a small village, there would have only been one inn. And so the Bible says, the inn. The one and only inn was full. And so where was Jesus born? All we know is that he was laid in a manger 
which was a wooden feed box for cows and sheep. That's why we assume he was born in a barn. Most nativity scenes have a wooden stable. But given the common practice in in Bethlehem at the time, it was probably a shallow cave inside of a limestone hill. Those were the stables in and around Bethlehem. And if you travel to Bethlehem today and you want to visit the traditional site of the birth of Jesus, they'll take you to a cave and they've built a church over top of that cave, the church of the nativity. Also, one thing you'll see... The common practice of the day is in your home. You might go down a few steps into the ground inside your uh, home, almost like a cave-like series of rooms. And you'll be taken down a couple of more steps into a lower room. And historians tell us that on cold nights, nights in general, uh, they would bring their livestock in and put them in those lower levels of their home underground. And there'd be a manger, a a wooden feeding trough in those. And that's where the baby Jesus was laid. Folks, think about the providence of God in all of this. God arranged the birth of His Son precisely as we read. Why did He do it this way? Why did He come so humbly? From man's perspective, Joseph and Mary were nobodies. And they were from a nowhere place. Why in the world did God do it this way? Well, the Bible says he did so to identify with you and me. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes, he became poor. That through his poverty, you might become rich. Don't you love the way God... You've got to just marvel at the way God does things. Think about how prophetic it is here too that there was no vacancy. Here's the Son of God who Paul, as Paul says in Colossians 1, was the agent of creation. In other words, all the way back in Genesis 1 where we're told that God created the heavens and the earth, it was actually the Father working through the agency of the Son. And so there from Genesis 1-1, we see all the members of the Trinity involved at creation. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and Father and Son were the, the Trinity all the way back from Genesis 1-1. But here's the one, the agent of creation, created the world. And yet when he came in human flesh, there was no room for him in the world in which he had made. This is prophetic, isn't it? What's John say in John chapter 1? He came to his own, and his own received him not. Even today, people are busy, and they have no room 
for Jesus. Folks, I think of all of these elements that are at work here in Luke chapter 2 and how God designed this. Again, the providence of God in this just amazes me. And it gives me assurance that if God can do all of this with such detail and purpose, He can direct your life and my life. Amen? Amen. Well, secondly this morning, I want you to see God's announcement of good news. To those who are lowly and outcast, beginning there in verse 8. Think of this moment. Here is a birth not, not meant to be an announcement to the high and mighty of the world, but it is a birth that is announced first of all to shepherds. Men were intended to see that, that this is not simply an announcement to those in powerful places like palaces. This is an, this is an announcement For people like me and people like you. It's an announcement for the world. To the shepherds even. The lowliest of the low. If it's an announcement for them, then it's an announcement for anybody. No child born into the world that day seemed through man's eyes to have lower prospects. Dr. Kent Hughes writes, It was clearly a leap down as if the Son of God rose from His splendor, stood poised at the rim of the universe and dove headlong, speeding through the stars over the Milky Way, to earth's galaxy where he plunged into a huddle of animals. Nothing could be lower. And yet look at the clarity in this announcement. No greater birth has ever occurred. And God delivered the news first to the shepherds. No accident that this happened. You see, shepherding was a way of life, very important in Jewish life. In Israel, sheep were the common livestock. And shepherding sheep was the way of life for many Jews. You'll recall about Joseph when Joseph spoke to Pharaoh in behalf of his brothers as they were coming down into Egypt. How they needed to settle in Goshen because in Goshen that was where they could best carry out their livelihoods as shepherds. There were also shepherds more in the professional sense. Instead of being a family landowner with sheep and crops to support your family, there were, there were sheep who were wandering herdsmen. And they would move throughout the land and they would stay wherever they could for as long as they could, supporting their flocks. We also know that some of the shepherds of the time tended to sheep For the temple, the sacrificial system. And they kept their sheep in fields out around Bethlehem. Some people think maybe these are the very shepherds who are keeping sheep that are going to be used in the temple for the sacrificial system. And so God is saying to them, you know, you keep sheep, you tend sheep to be used as sacrifices for sin. I'm going to show you, first of all, the one who is 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That may have been the case. Again, the marvelous arrangements of God. At the same time, a surprising thing about shepherds was that they were the lowest people in the socioeconomic order of the day. They were a cherished class and a despised class all at the same time. Sometimes they were regarded as thieves and robbers because they would move through people's lands and they would take whatever they could for the moment. And they were not even allowed to give testimony in courts of law. Folks, again, think about God's message coming to people like this first and foremost. Showing that if this is a message for them, it's a message for everybody. Because if the message would have been delivered to the highest and the mightiest of the day, what would other people conclude? Other people would conclude, this is news not for me. I'm not rich enough. I'm not powerful enough. This is for somebody else. But coming to the lowest of the low, everybody should see this is an announcement for one and all. And look at what kind of message it is. The the angels told them, do not fear. There's a lot of fear out there today. Do you realize that fear can literally even lead to death? Coroners in Cleveland, Ohio found this to be the case. They studied the hearts of 15 assault victims that were fatally wounded by their attackers that that were not fatally wounded and yet they died anyway. They determined that in 11 out of 15 of those deaths, the person literally died of mortal fear. Fear is so present in our world today. So much fear out there. But with Jesus in control of our lives, we don't have to fear. Because guess what? If the very worst thing happens to you on the face of this earth and you even die, what happens? uh, Absent from the body, present with the Lord. B.B. McKinney wrote some of the hymn books, uh, some of the hymns in our hymn book. And he has a hymn entitled, Have Faith in God. Well, on his way to Ridgecrest, Ridgecrest, North Carolina, for a music conference a number of years ago, he was killed in an automobile wreck. And at the funeral home where people were coming through the line speaking to his wife, one minister came through the line and said, Mrs. McKinney, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she looked at him. And you know what she said? She said, Pastor, have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. That's the line in in his hymn. Have faith in God. You don't have to live with fear. Have faith in God. This God that's providential that arranged all of this is able to guard your life. 
And he may not necessarily protect you from bad things, but he can lead you through bad things. And he's with you, and he can give you that perfect peace that passes all understanding. And then it was also a proclamation of good tidings of great joy. Even in the midst of a dark world, God gives joy. Tidings of great joy. Dr. A.W. Tozer writes, If our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness, so God sent us a savior he's the wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father and the prince of peace unto you this day is born in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord don't fear this is a message of good news for you and for all those who will hear amen Just very quickly, I want to I close. But the third thing I want you to see is the investigation that turns to proclamation. Notice what they did. They went to investigate and they, they witnessed everything that had been told to them. What did Mary do? Mary marveled in her heart. She pondered over all of this that the shepherds were saying. And then what, the, what did the shepherds do? They left, kicking up their heels, so to speak, praising God and telling everybody the news that had been made known unto them. Folks, isn't that the appropriate response? To the message of Jesus. That like Mary we would ponder all of these things in our hearts. That we would reflect on these things. You know we're told by those who follow these things. That Christians today we don't, we don't sit and ponder like Christians of previous generations. Because we're so caught up in media. And Christians of previous generations would sit around and think and meditate about the wonderful things that God has done. We need to do that. Spend some time this Christmas season sitting before God and thinking and meditating on the great things that we read about in the scriptures that God has done in behalf of his people. And then tell somebody. I told you last week how all of us have people in our circles of influence that we ought to be witnessing to. Building bridges, taking them out for coffee, taking them out for lunch. Looking for ways that we can build bridges to somebody to tell them about our faith in Jesus. And folks, when we talk about our faith in Jesus, you don't even have to memorize a whole bunch of scripture. Although I would commend that to you as well. But you've got a testimony. Simply tell them the wonderful things that God has made known to you share your testimony with folks 
so they can learn about the one in whom you trust. So what Mary did and what these shepherds did is a wonderful example to what you and I ought to do in response to this good news of Jesus. Let's not go through this Christmas season just being busy with all the details of the holiday. That's the natural thing to do. That's the normal and natural thing to do. But folks, let's make sure that we take time to meditate and to witness. Tell people about Christ. When Christ came into the world, God did things in such a way so that the birth of Jesus would not remain quiet. Let's you and I not be secret disciples, silent disciples. Let's be like the shepherds who go and tell. Announce the good news that this God who's transcendent has come near. He sent His Son, Emmanuel, God with us. God is with you. He's with me. And God is at work in you just like He was at work in these shepherds back then. He continues to be at work in the hearts of men and women Today, working in your life and my life in such a way that we will see His marvelous grace and His power. Emmanuel, God with us. May His name be praised. Father, we thank you for this chapter. In Luke's gospel. Thank you for the way you did things. Again, not the way we would have done things. But we're not God. You are. And your ways are perfect. You came humbly. So that the lowly and the humble of this world can see that this is a message for them too. It's not just for the rich and powerful. Lord, you sent your son to change lives. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for making the message of Jesus known to us. Lord, I think of the shepherds that didn't hear this announcement that night. There are people in our world today that don't know. And yet, Lord, you've allowed us to know that just like these shepherds that did hear, we're to go and tell. May we be obedient to doing that. And may we marvel and ponder the awesome way that you work. What a marvelous and majestic God you are. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for bringing us good.
good news of a Savior. Because, Lord, that's what I need more than anything else. I need a Savior. And everybody that I'm preaching to this morning, that's the greatest thing they need. They need a Savior. Because we're sinners and we've come short of the glory of God. Thank you for sending us a Savior. And I pray for that one right now who needs to come to the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.